chapter 11 covered. Phil would love to cover it next week for you. So uh, speak to you on the door and say, please uh, take this one. I'm kind of joking. But um, Luke 11. In some sense, in some ways, you may kind of read this, uh, hear this being read and, uh, and wonder where it's hard, but hopefully that will get clarified along the way. I'm going to read the first bit, and then I'm going to ask you to join in, uh, and I'll explain that uh, when we just get to verse 2, and we're going to pray the words that Jesus taught of the Lord's Prayer together, and then I will continue reading up to verse 13. So one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, and that's our cue to pray these words together. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. For which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I kind of like certain bits of the new translation that we're reading from the 2011 version of the NIV. Uh, Other versions of this text talk about uh, the, the person who goes to the house and knocks in the middle of the night at midnight as being persistent in knocking. Uh, There was an example of persistence that really annoyed me uh, this week. I didn't quite understand what was going on, but I was suddenly aware in my house with the windows open because it was beautiful weather and the the warm uh, breeze was blowing. There was somebody somewhere, I think it was on Sheep Street, who was obviously really irritated because they were tooting their horn, not just in a British fashion of once, but on and on and on and on and on for about a minute and a half. It was after about 20 seconds, I was suddenly aware of who is that? And they don't they know this is Chipping Camden? And don't they know that people probably have heard they have been uh, tooting their horn for quite a long time? And it went on and on and on with persistence. 
It got to that moment where it began to be get socially awkward. I thought, I'd better go out to the street and see what's going on, because I was nosy and thinking, what is that about? But the word in this uh, passage is not really best translated as persistence. The NIV captures it well in this 2011 version. Shameless audacity. When was the last time you were shamelessly audacious? It's not very British, as Hermie uh, comments. Shamelessly audacious. Uh, Sometimes when I hang out with my godchildren, uh, they think I'm shamelessly audacious all the time. They just think I'm being rude sometimes. Uh, One incident, just as a little one, I happened to to go into um, a shop in in Stratford. It happened to be Andy and Kate's. They're not here, so I can say this. And uh, none of them were... um, in the shop, it was one of their managers. Um, and I kind of went, oh, well, hi, I know the managers. And they were like, really? And I, so I phoned Andy, and he was in somewhere else, and, I, and they talked. And I said, um, oh, can we try the ice cream? And, the, and my, my godson was like, you can't do that. It's really rude. Like, How dare you? And I was like, well, no. I don't. So he was like, what? And I, they, we got a free ice cream, basically. <laughs> Shamelessly audacious. <laughs> it's not like Andy, I'll tell you. Uh, so... Uh, You'll all be going in now, won't you? We've heard you give free ice creams. Shamelessly audacious. Just hold that phrase. When it comes to faith, it's one of the characteristics of a believer. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke um, from Luke 16, and, and week by week we are trying to address some of the the more challenging, harder sayings of Jesus. I spoke about the the parable of the dishonest manager. And indeed, I think it is the most difficult parable that Jesus speaks. You can let me know whether you think that's true or what you might think of the others. And as such, this parable that's contained sort of like the jam in the sandwich or, or the rose in the middle of Oh, it's not really thorns to teach about prayer, but you, you get my point. Jesus says two things about prayer. And right in the heart of that section is this parable. He says, suppose you have a friend. And it kind of seems straightforward at first glance in comparison to some of the more difficult one. It appears that with shameless audacity or persistence, that the, the person who is in need goes to his friend in the middle of the night and with a little bit of knocking on the door, gets the result required. Friendship and hospitality worked out. But I think there's a little bit more than meets the eye. Makes it a little bit more challenging and a hard saying, but an encouragement to take greater steps forward. The first thing I was really struck by as, as I um, read this was, was actually about hospitality. And I just want to talk into um, that just for a, a moment. That, that, um, the, the culture that Jesus was uh, speaking into uh, and speaking about and his hearers would have understood um, was one in which shame and honor played a really big part. For us, as we tend to read this, we think that there's, there's maybe nothing wrong. Both the host and the neighbor um, would be entirely within their rights to say no. If it was you, 
and someone came in the middle of the night to knock on your door, you'd probably say, no, go away, come back tomorrow. Well, that's what I'd do. You may be more virtuous than me. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's late. The curtains are shut. The lights are off. The door is locked. The alarm is on. And the do not disturb is activated on your phone. Keep out. Keep away. It's nighttime. We live in this culturally different time. Uh, we may just think, you know, why don't they just go to Tesco 24-7 or whichever variety is closer and make use of 24-hour shopping? They don't need to be disturbed anymore. I mean, and maybe they're just bad at planning. Shouldn't they have got their own bread? Uh, remember, it's not modern bread that lasts for weeks without going off. It's that bread that is like you get in the continent, and it's lovely in the morning, and if you try it the next day, it's tough as rocks. It's gone stale. Fresh bread. But in this story, the cultural difference is that, that nobody would think that. The, the neighbor's obligation and the request are obvious. There's this urgent need. A friend's come in the middle of the night and needs help. And indeed, the disruption of, of the neighbor, the friend's sleep, is of lesser concern than that of making sure hospitality and honor is accorded. That in the culture of the time, the, uh, the person the ho- the, that is being called upon to provide bread and a place and welcome is obligated to extend hospitality to his guest, even late at night. Failure to do so would have been shameful not only for that family, but actually for the whole community. It's an indication of of how uh, individualized we have become, that 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 kind of, just doesn't register with us when we think about, would we bring dishonor on our community? Maybe we'd feel a bit bad for letting someone down. But it meant a lot and would have been heard as such. Shameless audacity. I think hospitality is, is very much in view. It's not really the, the main thrust of, uh, of this text, but I just want to alight on it, because I think it's one of those things that can help us practice the welcome of Jesus. That hospitality is a profound and and wonderful uh, way of the kingdom coming. Even if you think about the word, what does hospitality mean? It doesn't mean that you uh, kind of, um, you know, you get this big spread and it's just the most relaxed and, uh, and comforting. And actually at the root of it, if you think about it, where else do we use the word hospital? That there's something about hospitality that brings healing. There's something about hospitality that goes deep into our culture that challenges individualism, that keeps us at arm's length, that allows us to function with a semblance of our life is all sorted, but actually without much interaction with anybody. 
to get down and into the nitty-gritty of life. Not prying or being nosy, but allowing fellowship to be created. Hospitality is really, really central. It reflects the gospel. Uh, Faithful Christians are and have always been a strange minority in the world. We leave our own life of self-centered, kind of, it's just about me and those closest to me. And we leave that behind and start in a new agenda of putting Jesus at the heart. Jesus first. And with that, and this is the struggle that we walk with, that it comes with, we have to kind of deny ourselves. We have to take up our cross daily. We have to learn to look to the interests of others, not just to ourselves. And that involves hospitality. It's a really powerful way, a really simple way of seeing amazing things of the kingdom. That the writer of the Hebrews, I think it is, says uh, amazingly that, you, you know, by practicing hospitality, you maybe entertain angels unawares. I know you probably think there's no angels in my family. Or my neighbors, they're a right pain in the neck. But you see, there's this implication about hospitality in the Gospels that says it goes beyond just those we know. It's not just entertaining, but they're actually opening up with an embrace to the other. Indeed, hospitality, and again, this isn't the major thrust of the text, and I shall leave this in a moment, but hospitality is actually spiritual warfare because it gathers brothers and sisters alongside unsaved neighbors and strangers. It isn't simply charity or kindness. Rather, it takes the gospel upstream in a culture war because it says, come and meet and dwell and have time in my life with me. It's about welcoming people into our space. Hospitality is good for the giver because it puts our hearts and lives on display. It nurtures and grows the family of God. It, it's good for the giver. It helps us in the, as I was talking about last week, in the, in the action of generosity. Um, it's great for our young people and children to see a uh, welcome of how to host, of how to honor someone. It, it is expensive at times. It's costly, not just in, in money, but in, in what it demands of us. But it really is worth it. Hospitality matters. There's something in this, in this parable, that isn't the main thrust, but I think is one of the ways perhaps we can continue to be graciously audacious. Whether that's by inviting people on a Sunday for lunch, uh, it's one of the things we've sent off our students. Go and find a church where you'll never be hungry on a Sunday. Slightly tongue-in-cheek. But actually, that, that saying, welcome stranger, welcome young person from somewhere else. We're going to love you. I'll leave that with you. But the parable itself, the story of Jesus, comes in the context of prayer. 
The Lord's Prayer, as it's called beforehand, is sandwiched with this call and encouragement to pray uh, and with this, this reminder that Jesus gives us of directness and simplicity. God will withhold no good gift. Ask, seek, knock. So why does he put this little story in the middle The disciples have seen in Jesus something astonishing. They've seen in him real praying, real relating to the Father. And it's not like the praying they've been taught by rote or by uh, by just uh, kind of in certain times, in certain ways, with certain uh, set prayers to offer of kind of something that is just done because it's good. There's something about what Jesus does. They say, we want in on that. We want to discover and have and, and, uh, and experience what we see in you, Jesus. And they ask how to do it. And like, and Jesus is willing, he teaches prayerfulness. He teaches what it means to be prayerful in faith. And he takes this story about hospitality and friendship and honor, born out of desperate need, that in the situation at night, the man who had been called upon to feed and host had nothing at midnight. The doors were locked. And the cupboards were bare. Where to go? He went and asked and called upon a friend for help. Had to be shamelessly audacious. But what was the outcome? Bread was given. The need was fulfilled. He teaches them when they ask. Lord, teach us to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. I love the fact that sometimes we should call it the Disciples' Prayer. In fact, it's our request of the Lord, teaches to pray and tells them this story. That the man, surprised by the late arrival of his friend, and calls and says, help. In the story, as I've intimated, we get shocked by the late hour. And the real problem that we miss is that the pantry is empty. There's nothing to give. And so he runs to his neighbor's house, hammering on the door to wake his friend. I kind of got a glimpse of what that would mean. Again, when I was um, in, in, a, in, in India. I hope I don't go on about India too much. It could have been Africa, but this was one of the places. And it just drew it home to me that um, in, in this place that we got to this, um, we got home at about half past one at night after a long journey. And they don't do like chub locks. That when the family go to bed, they bolt the door from the inside and they padlock it from the inside. If they go out, they bolt it from the outside and padlock it from the outside. Because the family had gone to bed to be safe, they padlocked it on the inside with the metal bolts in the door. So when we came back, I was thinking, oh gosh, what are we going to do? And the brother, who happened to be with us, went and started ringing the doorbell 
and knocking on the metal door. It was a right racket, as you'd imagine. And the doorbell had this like Indian charm of being really kitsch and like had this awful tune that would drive you mad if it was in your house. And he was like, I said, you'll wake them up. He said, I know, I have to, to get in. Because it's bolted and locked on the inside. And then it's kind of like, I, I love how British we are. We're like, but everyone else will get woke up. Because it, you know, it's not like that some of our houses that we have where there's a, gate, a big long drive and no one would hear if you're knocking uh, because those houses are about an acre apart. It's close living. And open windows. If they don't have glass. And it went on and on. And all of a sudden you could hear beginnings of stirring inside. Because it was like that. Oh, we better get up because it's not going to stop. Like the high street car horn that was going on and on and on. Audaciously shameless in that persistence. And I kind of realized that not only was the people in the house we were trying to get into waking up. But neighbors were getting disturbed too by the racket. And because uh, of the nature of, of homes, it wasn't, again, like a, a nice big house with, with the children in one of their own rooms and, and so forth. Actually, people share one room, sleeping a few on a bed and some on the floor. And for someone to get up means disturbing everybody. The other thing I, I think we just sometimes struggle with in prayer is we're very British, Shamelessly audacious doesn't come naturally. To the Americans, maybe, with their brashness, and, and none of them here, I don't think, of our regular regulars. They'd forgive me. I came across this uh, wonderful little um, statement of, of just uh, how uh, nuanced we can be and, uh, and we can imply things and say things without really saying it. So I'm going to stay if I may use. But you know and I know that actually we're meaning something else. And I'll give you examples. So if I said to you, I hear what you say, what am I actually meaning? I actually, I'm actually probably saying I disagree and don't want to discuss it any further. But to our uh, foreign neighbors, um, they probably think, actually, he accepts my point of view. I hear what you say. Actually, I'm saying, no, I don't, but I, you know, I'm just being polite. If I say to you, but with the greatest of respect, <laughs> why are you laughing? I'm probably saying, I think you're a bit of a fool or an idiot. <laughs> and someone from another culture will think, oh, of course, he's listening to me. You know, we've got this really clever wordplay. If I say that's not bad, you get the thing. Um, I'm probably saying that's quite, quite good. It's not that bad, is it? It's, it's all right. Someone from a foreign culture would think that's poor. <laughs> that's not bad. They'd focus on the bad. Um, if I said to someone, uh, that's quite good... I'm actually saying it's a bit disappointing. That's quite good, isn't it? Uh, not really. Um, if you're in a conversation and someone says to you, oh, that's really very interesting. <laughs> you get the point. I'm probably saying it's probably nonsense. Anyway, why am I telling you that? One of the things that I find shocking in the story is how 
shamelessly audacious the person is when he goes to knock. Running on the door, hammering, persisting. So what's Jesus driving at? He's saying in this parable of the midnight guest, contrasting God's unchanging love and willingness and desire that we should come in prayer against the inconsistent way we sometimes act. Begrudgingly, but because it's the right thing, the neighbor responds, open the door, gives the bread. And Jesus goes on to say in one of these, how much more, the, the lesser to the greater parables, like the, the persistent widow with the unjust judge. If you who are evil know how to do this, then how much more? So Jesus in this section in the scriptures of Luke, teach us to pray. So I say to you, ask it and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. This parable is speaking into praying. For us as believers, a lesson on prayer that may be particularly hard because we're quite British and we find shameless audaciousness tough. If one of your children says, Mummy, Mummy, can I have that toy in the supermarket? No, dear. Mummy, Mummy, can I have that toy in the supermarket? No, dear. If you ask me again, you're going to sit on the naughty step. Well, the more you ask, the less likely you're to get it because that'll teach you a lesson. That's not what the scripture is saying. Just to underline, prayer is not an option. It's a necessity. Jesus is demonstrating and the disciples begin to catch on. Teach us to pray. Prayer is like the heart beating or our consistent breathing. Prayer is the very breath of the soul. It's the bread of the hungry heart. I'm not really into much poetry, but I did come across in reading for this Tennyson's little uh, prayer on this, uh, reflection on this poem. I'm sure you know it. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Wherefore, wherefore, let thy voice rise like a fountain for me night and day. For what are men better than sheep or goats that nourish a blind life with the brain? If, knowing God, they lift not hands of prayer, both for themselves and those who call them friend. For so the whole round earth in, is every way bound by gold chains about the feet of God. Pray. The necessity, not the option of prayer. The bridge between heaven and earth. Not just in the, in the special times or the special places or with the special words. Not just in the set time that you perhaps have each day. Not even kind of shrouding it in mystery. But seeing prayer as an option. Not an option, but necessity. I loved my time when I was with Chris Duffett. And uh, I learned so much from him in so many ways. One of the things about Chris, uh, you may have met him, he's been here amongst us. You see, we were driving to his allotment one day, or we were driving to um, 
to catch a train to at the local train station, or we were driving to do a day gathering with a church, and we'd be just driving along, we'd be talking about something, and then without even a flicker or a change of voice, he'd just start talking to Jesus. Naturally and just openly, just in the midst of, of the stuff, we'd be, we'd be like talking about how his rhubarb was growing. He loves his allotment. And he'd say, uh, but he'd, he'd start to talk and pray. And like, Jesus, we just pray for growth today. And it would just, or he'd see someone and it would just be a natural thing just to be infused in the day. And I, I kind of found it a little bit awkward at first. I was like, is he talking to me? And I'd start to respond and then know he's talking to the father. And I'd be like, oh, that's a bit audacious, isn't it? I didn't use that word in the time. But it really struck me of just the naturalness, praying, the moment. And I think this is where maybe you just we need a bit of encouragement as, as Christians. Maybe you know this already. I think this story tells us that God isn't offended by the attitude or the boldness that we have or the cry of our need. Think about that story and how persistent, how shamelessly audacious the man was at midnight, late at night when it was all quiet and locked up. And he went and he hammered on the door. What's Jesus saying? God is not offended by you keeping on praying and asking and calling out to your father who loves you. It seems audacious of the man to cry out again and again. It's not, but probably was in the story. Maybe it was a test of human patience. But Jesus in the lesser to the more of the example of what we know, even though we're imperfect and flawed so much, how much more is Jesus saying that God responds to the cries of God's children with a far greater eagerness than we can even muster up on our best day? Nothing is too small or too big or too bothersome for it to be not brought to God. I made reference to this the other week, but one of our young people in the summer didn't come to God in prayer because he'd been to God in prayer and failed again and again and again and thought, I can't come back to God with the same thing because I've let him down again and again and again. And so sat quietly, feeling alone. And I felt a nudge of the spirit, so I sat down and I talked to him and I said, what's going on? Is it the same thing as last year? Yes. I said, you know, the Lord wants you to come to him. He's here. He's close at hand. And we pray. And the Lord encountered him afresh. But he was carrying a thing that I think so much of us have. We either keep praying and we get disillusioned. Or we pray and we think God's getting bored with us. Or we think that that God's is applying to us, we should know better by now. Haven't they learned that yet? How dare they come back to me with that again? We are so often conditioned ourselves with our culture that says maybe a few times, but then out of politeness we'll stop. Hear this hard saying positively. 
let this hard saying crash into our cultural expectations and the limits that you've placed upon who you think God is. Be persistent. Keep on praying. Ask, seek, knock. The NIV is good, but it doesn't quite carry the sense of, the, of, of what Jesus is saying. It carries this continuing on. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Present continuous for you grammatarians. Be persistent. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep on contending. It is biblical. Abraham persisting in his intercession for the welfare and care of his his nephew Lot and the family. Paul praying three times, persisting, let this thorn in the flesh be removed. Keep on being audaciously uh, persistent in prayer because why? God is entirely gracious. The answer came back to Paul. I'm not going to take this thorn away, but my grace is sufficient for you. Keep on praying because we trust in God. Be shamelessly audacious. Yeah, Terry. Yeah, just one moment. Let me bring a microphone for you. Got talking to a lady who was on the till in Tesco's and she was sharing with us how ill she was and that her kidneys were failing. This was some time ago, years ago. And we were saying to her, can we pray for you? And she said, oh yes, please. And we prayed for her. And we prayed for her to be healed of her kidney failure. Then she said to us on a one... Few, few months or even a year later she said I can't have any more time, I need to go on dialysis. She went on dialysis, she then said they need me to have a kidney transplant so we said we'll pray for you we'll pray for you that you'll get a transplant and get it one quickly. She said well, well I won't get one quickly because there's something funny with me and I need to have something else done first. Well she needed to have uh, a bypass heart, heart bypass it was a month, months later. We didn't see her anymore, and I said to somebody else who was on the till on the, in Tesco's a, a few weeks ago, I haven't seen this lady, her name is Di, I haven't seen her lately. She said, oh, didn't you know she's had a kidney transplant, and she can't come around here because she's, her immune system is prejudiced, and she can't be in. But this is over a period of years, not months, not weeks, but years. But we kept on praying and God answered that prayer. Great. Thank you. Persist with a shameless audacity. For me, where the rubber hits the road is, do I keep trusting that the Father is good on this? When sometimes that prayer that I'm praying goes unanswered. So just as, as I close, uh, some, uh, a kind of confession, but real. So, so my mum, right from uh, a long time ago, has, has not been against, although she was initially, uh, my uh, kind of journey of faith. And, and I talked to her about it, and she just get, used to get really fed up of me 
banging on about Jesus. She said, uh, it, it just is, you just go on and on about it. And I was praying for her over many years, wanting her and my dad to, um, to kind of come to faith. And the nature of persistent prayer is that it's easy to stop because we get tired. And so I had not, I had, I did keep praying occasionally, but there wasn't that persistent, there wasn't that vigor, that continuity. And to my surprise, um, she suddenly one day said, oh, I've started going to church. I was like, what? I mean, this is 20 years later. Really? And she's still going. And I, I kind of smile because I, I kind of get, get in that, just the glimpse that even though I ceased and I'd failed and, and was faithless, the Lord isn't. That he continues to be good and working unseen and working things out. Let's keep on praying and not losing heart. The other thing that's challenging me at the moment is that sometimes we pray for stuff that really matters to us and we don't get the answer we want. So again, about my mum, it's kind of confessional. She's, she's just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And like many of these things, these conditions, they, they, they carry with it a whole lot of, of mindset. And so I am asking myself, you know, I do pray for her and I, I pray for that, but there's, there's not a shameless audacity in my prayers for that. And as I've been thinking on that and reflecting, I hear again Jesus' words to ask and seek and knock and keep on and keep petitioning and crying out. As we pray for revival, as we pray for our neighbors, as we pray for breakthroughs, as we pray for those that we're meeting and our family members and our non-Christian spouses, a shameless audacity to keep on keeping on, keep on keeping on, trusting that he is good because he cannot deny himself. And we live in this ambiguity and we live in this, this tension and this hard place. But do we stop and doubt and give up on the good Lord? Or do we keep availing and persisting and crying out, trusting that he is good? I guess put like that, I know which side I'd choose. How about it? Wouldn't it be great to have some testimonies soon of shameless audaciousness? Not just getting a free ice cream, but in the things of the kingdom. Let's turn in prayer and worship.